0: Get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy.
1: Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.
2: Welcome to Katie's Crib, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio.
3: I had a very interesting relationship with breastfeeding. Um, I was incredibly lucky. I had more milk than I could possibly have used. I actually had my milk ducts and my armpits all filled up. And I was—I had like, you know, dinosaur egg-sized like glands. <laughs> Emily's face. And for everyone <laughs> listening, I have
2: lo- I have given Emily Rogers milk out to like, if we can say this, I have given <laughs> Emily Rogers milk out to friends. Oh yeah, that's how much she has. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Katie's Crib. I'm so excited about this episode of Katie's Crib, which is postpartum depression that comes around weaning. I don't know why no one talks about this. I don't know why there's no warning signs. I don't know why it happens the way it does, but I have come across so many friends that whether they wean at six months, three months, one month, one year, one and a half years, whatever, they have a major hormonal drop-off, and it is postpartum depression, and yet we are not prepared for this area. So I have two friends on the podcast today, dear, 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 dear personal friends of mine who also know each other because we were in the same mommy and me class. And the first of this dynamic trio is Alison Akel. She is Shondaland's chief content officer of TV and film. Listen to that title. She joined Shondaland in 2013. She's developed a number of drama and comedy projects for ABC, including the series How to Get Away with Murder, Station 19. She is also the co-executive producer for Bridgerton and Inventing Anna. On a personal level, like we've been saying, she also had a postpartum depression while weaning. We've got Emily Rogers, who is a former corporate attorney turned stay at home mom of two highly opinionated, excellent, incredible girls, the older of which is in nursery school with my son. She has experienced postpartum depression after weaning with her older daughter, Evie. She is currently weaning her younger daughter, Audrey. She's originally from Vancouver, Canada, and she now lives in Los Angeles with her husband, daughters, and her cat. Welcome to Katie's Crib. Oh, and Allison lives with her cat, right? Your cat is. Here I with do. Us, no? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank God. Okay. I was about I to, to be a like, "Oh shit!" Get her out, please. Yeah. <laughs> the cat is here. The cats are here. My son, all he wants is a cat and a fish. So I don't know. I think it's that not that always that's, the not, best that's combination. Not, Yeah, that's not a good duo, right? That's what I tell him, but he doesn't really get it. He's just starting to understand that like when he eats beef or that's like a – like he's asking weird questions. But anyway, let's get back to the point of this podcast, (laughs) which is I want to focus on the period when you're breastfeeding and you're weaning off of breastfeeding. And this is like I said quickly in the intro that for some reason, why the fucking hell is nobody talking about this? Post-weaning depression, according to parents.com, is a term used to describe depression that can occur after a woman stops breastfeeding. Via verywellfamily.com, post-weaning depression may occur concurrently with postpartum depression, but it's a distinct experience. Most importantly, post-weaning depression is linked in time with the ending of breastfeeding, whereas postpartum depression is linked with the birthing of a baby. Okay. I'm going to shut up now. Allison, (laughs) let's start with you. Yes. You breastfed yeah, yeah. your glorious son. And when did you <laughs> My know... My baby. He is the greatest king of all babies. <laughs> I love him so much. When did you know that it was time to wean?
4: Well, I I don't think I did. I think this is why this whole thing snuck up on me. And it's interesting that it's it's called kind of post or weaning related depression because it didn't manifest for me in any of the the ways that I classically understood what depression would look like. So I feel like I was missing the signs, shall we say. For me, it was a raging dose of anxiety is the best way, like a paralyzing dose of anxiety. And what had happened was I'll take it. He's so Walt is his name. He's a little bit Chris Farley, a little bit Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's a giant baby.
2: Only the chief Shondaland content <laughs> officer would nail her son. Like, you have. Perfectly I'm gonna
4: pitch you my described
2: son. Described your son as the pitch. Like, I'm like, It. oh my gosh, you've nailed it. Okay, okay. So, Walt is a <laughs> he's, big, he's when a big I say dude. king of babies, he's, he's a big just- dude. He's not like, um, uh, yes, a little
4: little baby. No, and look, he was a little baby. He was born. There was a lot of drama in the hospital of like he wasn't eating, and we get that's a whole other side note of it. But I was very lucky. He took to breastfeeding, but it it was never enough for this insatiable beast of a baby. So we always we were always supplementing with formula. So it wasn't it wasn't odd. Around two and a half months, I started tiptoeing back into the Shondaland waters that I'd missed so dearly, and Walt started doing some very part-time daycare. And over the next two and a half months, taking him to about age five months, the, the, I thought I was just going to be able to, you know, we're work from home. It's a pandemic still. We're just starting, you know, I got vaccines while I was breastfeeding and I was like, this is great. All I want is for my son to have all the vaccines. Cause I, I thought that that's what the science was communicating. And this is hugely important. I'm going to do this as long as I can and I can pump from home. But then I forgot that the other side of work from home and COVID is 18,000 meetings back to back. Right. So I was not pumping as much as I should. And essentially, I think a little bit of like back to work stress or pumping kind of scheduling issues turned into my body starting to wean itself. So this is a little different than I think like, well, my kids won. This feels about the right time. It was like my body was cutting back. I was down to like, at best, I'd making making like two to four ounces a day, right? And I had a little bit of a stockpile, but it was... And I'm just hanging on for dear life. So I am just nothing's coming out but i'm like pumping i'm doing the teas i'm taking the pills i'm doing the whole i'm all the lactation help right
2: oh this like breaks my heart i'm only interjecting because i have to say like yeah. i've had a lot of friends whose bodies just slowly stopped pr- either slowly stopped producing or just fully stopped producing and it was so terrifying all of those feelings we talk about feeling like I'm failing. I can't. And I think there's so much triggering for motherhood around the ability to feed or not feed your baby and how much or how little. And you use that to like directly associate with your value and how well you're doing. And I think in Allison's case, probably when you were back to work, like you felt like, well, I can at least give him this. And now that's like falling off. I mean, oh my God, I can't even fucking imagine.
4: And the vaccine, again, I'm thinking I'm I, I'm thinking I'm shielding him from COVID, right? Like, okay, this is this is like the mission here, right? So I can't, he's got it in my head. No science to support it. I'm just like, if he gets a little bit every day, it's like a little bit of the vaccine. Whatever sure. I was telling myself. And look, we're in the middle. As we record this, we're in the middle of this like gigantic, terrifying formula shortage. Ugh. And I can't talk about triggering and paralyzing. I read those that news now and I'm like, I don't know what I would have done, oh my God. you know, seven oh my months God. ago.
2: I have goosebumps all over my body.
4: Oh my God. It's awful. And I feel like kind of no one cares, but that's a side note. But but like people are not giving it its due of how insane this is. But I, that, that's what, that's what happened with me was like, my body was just like, we've reached the end of a journey. I just wasn't ready to let go not even for anything about truly just this kind of very utilitarian thing where I thought I was still giving him covid vaccine via me which is so weird I know
2: No it's not it's really it's really important and it was really I I felt that way for sure I felt that way totally about my breast milk and the, getting vaccinated and feeling like I was doing my part in this pandemic to try to protect my unvaccinated baby like that was definitely a huge a huge huge thing. Okay, when did you start to realize that you were maybe having disproportionate anxiety that this wasn't um you were feeling not your usual self even though I mean how could you he, yeah. he had had a baby 5 months earlier but but still
4: Right, it's like oh, I'm not. I was not my zesty usual self for many reasons. But I I think, look, for me, I've always lived my life with a a bit of anxiety and worry. It's I in producing. I think there's a certain amount of help of it that helps you, right? I feel like Bill Hader. So many people have spoken to like how creatively anxiety can be a help, right? Yes. It had passed, allowing me to um, to put drive in my heart or allow me to anticipate problems. I think the day I will never forget was. I was on our couch in the living room, trying to compose an email about a note that was not easy to give, which in, um, you know, working with writers, this is something you do all the time, right? That you figure it out, you move past it. And my husband just looked at me at one point, TJ, and was like, you've been writing that email for four hours. And I realized I'd been sat in the same spot, my knee vibrating on my laptop, trying to write the same email for four hours. And I don't think I even understood what was happening and it was him finally being like worried about it. I think maybe two and a half weeks prior to that, we had done our first trip with Walt to Palm Springs with one of my best friends and her husband and their two and a half year old at the time. And I remember thinking it was one of the, I I hadn't like properly planned a place to pump. Um, so I, you know, we were all sharing this house. So I'm also kind of working from there. And I just all of a sudden remember this like strange feeling in my stomach um, of like, I don't feel like I have much, I, this would be so much fun. And it is, but I, I have this like sort of Damocles hanging over my head. I don't know what's wrong. Something is freaking me out. And it kind of cast a pall on the, uh, the trip a little. Cause I just, I, I remember Walt got kind of sunburned for the first time and I maybe lost my mind. I was like, I've ruined him. He'll never recover. And it was such an outsized reaction. And I could see it a little bit, but as the next two and a half weeks of my three week journey with this intense anxiety and depression, now that I understand it, I don't think I knew what was really coming and how bad it would get. Because eventually, yeah, by the time TJ caught me writing an email for four hours, I had slowly stopped eating and slowly stopped sleeping. And it was, that was kind of like towards the end of like finally recognizing like, I have to do something really drastic right now to like stop this and pull myself back.
2: Did you remember Aside from having just very disproportionate reactions to like Walt having a really bad sunburn or you not being able to really yep. function, maybe you're really tired, but like you were functioning at work and now all of a sudden functioning yes. is starting to be questionable. Do you have any examples of like thoughts you were having at the time?
4: Oh my God. I'll never forget the thought I had, which is I had remembered filling out all of my um, pregnancy disability paperwork for when you file with the state of California for your maternity leave and all your benefits. And I literally had this thought, which is so wild now, but I was like, I, I think I am gonna have to file for disability. I think I can't work ever again. Like it was that extreme where I was like, Oh, I guess this is it, right? My brain is broken. And I think for you think that postpartum depression is gonna look a certain way. Fuck
2: everyone I know thinks that they've broke that they're broken and they're going to be institutionalized. <laughs> like everyone is well, like this is it. My like, brain is broken. Yeah,
4: yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I was like, what else can I do? I suppose. But it, and it was such an intense, but ca- I think that's the strange nature of this. It was such an intense, but casual thing. The other thing that was happening is we were pulling out of Afghanistan. Um, the US was leaving Afghanistan. And I if you remember, that. it was nothing but just. Oh, intense footage at the airports of like people handing their kids to soldiers being like, get my baby out. And I yeah, just remember oh that was the other God, part is like, geez. no human should be spending this much time scrolling through, I don't know, Instagram reels, not even cool enough for TikTok, Alice and Akel. But it was just <laughs> like, I think I fucked up my algorithm for life. For life. My algorithm now is like, dead, darkish shit. Oh, Jesus. It's no. mis- we need to mis- log just- off it's just like- <laughs> and get
2: you a new name. We have to get you a new Instagram <laughs> handle. Like, Start over.
4: It's Oh my God. Or be like, how did I deal with child loss? It's like bump, 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 bump where they like oh knock their heads my. in and I'm like had their hands together. And I'm like, how did I get on this algorithm? I think it's from the period I was winning because I think once the anxiety was rolling, I was just like, yeah, I wanted to and there'd be those very trait things of like your baby's only small for four years. And then a little of that flooding could, comes flooding in of like the breastfeeding journey's ending for me, and that's a big milestone. So I think the weird thing about it was it it would flip-flop between intense insane thought. I or not insane, that's a terrible word, and no, intense you're, you're, triggering I thought outsized reaction, right? It was like this intense outsized reaction that came to my brain in a very casual manner. Or it was sobbing for two hours at videos of soldiers handing children or uh, of civilians in Afghanistan handing babies to soldiers. And I'm like, this is not normal. This is not usually my vibe. Um, and, you know, then there would be on top of that, like the panic of like, and now I've wasted all this time that I need because my work brain is going so slowly that I have to now that's now that time's gone that I needed this like extra buffer. So it was sort of a compounding effect is the best way I can think of it.
2: My last question for you, and then I, I want to hear Emily's story too, is I know you were not sleeping at all. Your anxiety was raging so bad that I know you also yep. started getting to, and you weren't eating. I remember this because when we spoke, I was like, fuck, we need to get to basics." That's a cute word like,
4: for it. <laughs> spoke. When I called you sobbing on a FaceTime on your vacation, poor Katie Lowe's, man. Just the absolute, the go-to for everyone. So I'm at my worst parenting moment. (laughs)
2: Look, I I have been on that. I have been on your side of that that (laughs) place as well, where I have reached out and needed a FaceTime in some of the darkest shit I've ever seen. And I took one look at your face, which is that classic for people who are listening, you um, you are not recognizable as the person I know. It's so fucked. And, but the other mm-hmm. fucked up thing is you know it will – like being on the other side of it as I was when you called me, I was like you will be okay yep. and you will get through it and you will feel like yourself again and you will enjoy – like it's all going to be okay. But that does not seem possible right now. Like that just does, does, does not yep. – a possibility right now. Um, what did you do with those three
4: weeks to kind of get through it? I mean, I leaned on TJ so much. Um, and, and also look, I'm lucky. I work at a really supportive place with bosses who have not like they haven't seen this before, right? Bosses who have had women, I think, accustomed to being type A professionals Dealing with different challenges that come in all shapes and sizes with the the idea of new motherhood, right? So it's like Shonda, Betsy, all of my colleagues, my team, Annie, Marco, Fong, everyone was just like, always there to help and probably could tell something was like a little off. I think I wound up realizing I masked better than I thought I had, honestly. Like, I think what was going on inside my head was a lot worse than what was presenting so there'd be little moments where I'd let some pressure out, where I would just say to Betsy, "Be like, look, Betsy, I don't know if today is my best day. I think something's going on, right? Just so it's like, okay, I can get it out there for a moment. But I think there was just this like power. Th- I remember one meeting with a writer a Zoom where I was, I had a moment where I was like, okay." I'm outside of my body watching myself in this meeting. I'm not really here, but I think it's going okay. I
2: <laughs> that feeling. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. Oh my God.
4: We're like, oh, interesting. Allison's having a meeting.
2: <laughs> oh, crazy. I I remember having this. I remember when I was like, oh, I'm not functioning anymore when I had um mm-hmm. I had to do a voice one line pickup in vivo. And I ha- I play, I don't even remember the character's name, but I I had a role that I'd done pre-pandemic, pre-baby, and they needed me to do one pickup line. And I sobbed to my friend, Jackie, saying, I don't think I can work for five minutes. Like, I'm in big, fat trouble. I don't know if I can pretend for five minutes like nothing's going on. Just to record one line that was like... Wow, what you got there? Some shit like that, and I was like, I um, <laughs> am never been so scared. Katie, of my wait, wife. was
4: that just off the cuff right now? <laughs> yeah, this baby. Challenge.
2: I'm, I'm so okay.
4: This that's, is... why you're the, that's why you're the pro,
2: and that's why you're like, oh no, you get to like a non functioning place. It's really scary. <clears throat> yes,
4: but, but the thing that saved me was that after I Facetime with you, and you let me sob. I knocked myself out with like a Benadryl, right? Yes, to, I, I, I slept. TJ that. took the baby the baby shifts that night, and I never looked back to breastfeeding. It was over. It was done. I barely had anything left. I remembered your cabbage leaf advice from an, an earlier season one, Katie's crib OG. Hell yeah! But it was over. I was done, and I remember it was the same weekend. I just like slept, and then we had a weekend, and Walt started solids, and I was like, goodbye breastfeeding. And by Sunday night, I was myself again, and I, it was the most bizarre experience. And I feel very lucky that it wasn't that it wasn't a longer drawn out experience. But that was how instantaneous once I let go. And 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 I get why people sometimes don't advocate for this because everyone's like, no, you should breastfeed as long as you can. It's great. But like, I just had to let it go. And it was done. It was over.
2: I remember when we were FaceTiming and you were at your one of your lowest bottoming out moments of, and I was getting to you, I know we had been texting and stuff like that, but once you FaceTimed me and you had been going through three weeks to four weeks of no sleep, anxiety attacks, not eating, stressing beyond all belief. Like, and I remember just being like in my head, oh God, I hope she just stops. Like it's not. Because at some point, what I always found interesting too, and then Emily, I have to your story, but I, I always thought it was really interesting when someone was like Whenever you decide or your body decides that it's time and and hopefully you don't have this kind of reaction, you get this opportunity where you have to find other ways to connect to your child um, because I – personally realized that I spend so much time breastfeeding and sort of taking for granted that like, that's my time with the baby, but I'm really looking at my phone.
4: <laughs> yeah. Oh, are you looking at uh, Instagram reels of yeah. Or like yeah.
2: answering <laughs> emails and shit like that. And I'm not, and I'm just saying like, well, this is my time yeah. with the baby, but like, is it really? And then I remember when I weaned Albie, like, oh, it's really important that I have other ways to calm him because I also used breastfeeding as like my way to like, you know, make him feel comfort, make him feel this, make him feel that. And so it's just like an interesting thing for anyone listening. Like it's, I try to reframe it in my mind as like the opportunity to learn how to comfort and mother in like other ways. Anyway, I, I, will remember that FaceTime and I honestly let it be known and said I was so honored to be on the other side of that call and Whoa. I, I truly was, I was so, so, so honored to be on the other side of that call and I really in my heart was like, she needs sleep, take whatever fucking Benadryl, Xanax, Ambien, whatever the <laughs> fuck you got on hand, you're not taking care of the baby this weekend, eat anything and everything, please God, but you have to sleep.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a skylight frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy.
1: Summon your anticipation for an all new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.
2: Emily has two um, beautiful girls and very different. They're very different.
0: Mm, I'm thinking about that now.
2: Um, And what's crazy about me and Emily's journey is that we were pregnant with both of our kids at the same time. Which is fucking awesome. <laughs> yes. So I want to talk to you about your experience with um, Evie right now because I know you're in the midst of it with Audrey. I'm curious how it's going because I'm still happening. But tell me about your breastfeeding journey with Evie and when you knew, similarly, how we started with Allison, how you knew it was time
3: to wean for you. I had a very interesting relationship with breastfeeding. Um I was incredibly lucky. I had more milk than I could possibly have used. And and one of the interesting things that happened early on with breastfeeding was I actually had my milk ducts and my armpits all filled up. And I was I had like <sighs> You know, dinosaur egg-sized, like, glands. <laughs> Emily's face. And for everyone
2: listening, <laughs> I have lo—I have given Emily Rogers milk out to, like, if we can say this, I've given <laughs> Emily Rogers milk out to friends. Oh, yeah. That's how much she has. everyone <laughs> who I ever get a text from that's like, I'm running low, I don't have, or a surrogate, or da-da-da-da-da, I'm like... Just call Emily. Just call Emily. She's feeding all of the Los Angeles area. Okay.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, and so I had so much milk, but part of that was just my relationship with it was always very interesting because it had such an effect on my body. And I really wish that I had known about postpartum from weaning because I was so clearly a candidate for it, given how much milk I had. I was also an endometriosis patient. I mean, I am an endometriosis patient. And so my hormone levels have always been insane. My goal for breastfeeding Evie was I wanted to get to a year. That was that was what I was trying to go for. I obviously had the milk to do it. It wasn't hard to get to a year. And then once I got to a year, I said, you know what? I'm done. And I just didn't think about it. And I started dropping a feed a week because that's what some people tell you to do. You just go drop a feed a week. Now that I know about postpartum weaning, I should have taken a lot longer to do it. I should have let my body adjust over time to do it. And that was just what I should have done. I mean, not to say that anybody else should have done that, but I didn't. And At the same time, there were all these things going on in our lives. Um, My husband had just quit his corporate job to go out on his own. And Evie was, I, I was, I, I didn't know this at the time, but being with her as a mother started feeling like a chore. I remember there was one day that she had somehow, there's like a two-part tuberculosis test that they give kids at various stages. And she had somehow failed the first skin test. And I knew like we hadn't done any traveling. We She did not have tuberculosis, but they said, <laughs> we want to give her the blood test for tuberculosis. And I have this, you know, I have a one-year-old and they're telling me I need to do a blood draw and they were going to send me to a quest lab, like just some random quest lab. And I said, absolutely not. I will go to the children's hospital and right. lab where they, you know, drop and and I, I pitched a fit in my pediatrician's office. And that afternoon somehow my well after I took my daughter to get her blood draw, crying, 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 you know, this one year old. And I'm sitting in my car after and I'm crying. And I don't remember why I somehow got a call from my doctor, my regular doctor. That day, she must have been following up with the test or something. And I just burst into tears on the phone, you know, in the car with Evie crying in the backseat. And and I was telling her all of the stuff that was going on. And she said, you know what, honey, I think you've got depression. (laughs) And I'm really, really lucky that I had a primary care physician who could just point that out to me. So easily and with such care and such you know just really understood who I was, what i what I should have been like, and how I should have handled all of these things, my husband likes to say, "I'm the best in a crisis, and so when all of these things were happening to us, and I wasn't handling it well, I mean, and my doctor knew that, and she just said, "You know what, like something's wrong, it's not crazy." insane. Like I wasn't having crippling anxiety. I wasn't having any of those things. It was so subtle, but they figured it out. And my doctor was just, just said, I'm going to put you on a low dose of Lexapro. Let's see how it goes. And I went on it. And a few weeks later, um, a dear friend of a mutual friend of ours, Mary O'Malley, um, who's been on your podcast, I told Mary what was going on in my life. And she said, I think it's great that your doctor put you on this, but let's get you some professional women's health, like psychiatry. And she put me in touch with her psychiatrist and he, I've been in treatment with him ever since I've never stopped. And he, I mean, he's, he changed my life. He really did. And like I said, I didn't have any of that crippling stuff, but you know, he, he got me on the right dosage afterwards. We, you know, and, and, and he just, he just really helped me figure it out. And then it was the hindsight part of it. And it's, it's so frustrating that it took me getting on medication to realize what was going on with me. But I was looking back on things and thinking, oh my gosh, I missed out on having fun with my daughter for a while. I mean, it was, I, I, I don't think I ever in my head thought of her as a chore, but I realized after... I came out of that fog or whatever it was that I I could see that that's how I I had been feeling and then I just started experiencing joy again being a mom. Mm. Did you have any
2: postpartum depression right after the birth or postpartum anxiety? Did you have any no. of that? See, that's the fucking crazy shit. It's like we hopefully were doing our due diligence of like preparing people to look at it in that first six week window, you know, but you're, see, I know people who they've gotten postpartum depression around the time they've weaned. And that can be six months later in Emily's case, it's a year later. And you didn't have it at all when you brought uh, Evie home from the hospital.
3: Yeah. And interestingly, I had been so prepared to have postpartum depression f- from the birth and uh, we had you know we had people lined up to talk to I had taken numbers from people my husband was you know kind of told this is the things you need to look out for and I was cognizant of all of that because of my endo and recognizing that I had all of these hormonal things but never applied it to weaning and also I had somewhat of a traumatic birth I I broke my tailbone um, in delivery, and so when I had gone through all of that without experiencing postpartum depression, in part because my husband, like he, like I said, he says I'm really good in a crisis, <laughs> and so I got when I got through all of that, and after having, you know, broken my tailbone and breastfed through it and all of that, and I was fine. I it did not occur to me at all that I could possibly
4: have postpartum at any point it's so funny you say that because honestly like that is I think that is the thing that snuck up on me too is that you have all of the meetings and all of the pamphlets and I did have a therapist through my weaning experience I I should have shouted that out too
3: oh that's yeah I mean I, I wasn't in therapy it wasn't any of that but never occurred to me that it could happen with weaning Right. Especially given the experience that I had, had. You know, it was just if I was gonna have depression, I was gonna have it after breaking my tailbone having a baby.
2: <laughs> Literally. Like the baby, that can happen. That's but wild. Yeah. 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 Yep. We should do a whole
3: fun.
4: Another thing on they that. don't talk about. Another, Another thing
3: they don't <laughs> talk about, don't know know about, about of breaking yeah. tailbones. <laughs>
2: my God. I mean, I just think and what's crazy for me, um, in my personal experience weaning Albie, I had the similar thing to Emily. I mean, I felt, it's so interesting having a second baby because I just, I've, I'm doing it so differently this time around, just mothering in in general, where I'm having this conversation with you. And when I was breastfeeding Albie, I was so stressed all the time about how much, how little, how many bottles. I can remember when he was coming up on a year, I was out of my stock. I was on Broadway. I was pumping every intermission. I was exhausted. Um, My supply was heavily diminishing. um, And I was confused thinking I had to get him to a certain point before I made him to cow's milk and he had to have bottles. And it was so fucking stressful and I was so miserable. And – measuring everything and and i just say that to mean that now that i'm doing this with vera i i never pump i never measure i never care i never know when i'm gonna breastfeed her it's very like sort of like if i'm at work she doesn't get it if i'm home she gets it like i have no idea what i'm making like everything is just like whatever and it's been really a much more pleasurable experience um I also think it's lined up that I've had acting jobs this year that are less grueling schedule. So I think that's also a huge, huge part of this. Like if you're a working mom and you're on a pump schedule, I mean, I did that with Albie and that's a crazy, crazy ride. Um, But I had to wean Albie at around a week before a year because I – when I was doing waitress on Broadway, I got MRSA, which is a deadly staph infection, and they called me and they said, "I'm so sorry, but we're going to have to try a million different kind of antibiotics so that this doesn't spread, and you just had your last breastfeed." And I ugly cried and had the opposite experience of you all, which was I ugly cried and then felt such relief. And finally felt like myself, like I was done. I looked in the mirror two weeks later and weight had fallen off for me that – just because my boobs were like flat dehydrated socks now (laughs) and like I just – had a different experience, which is funny because I had postpartum depression after birth. All of this to say, you don't know what you're going to get, listeners. You don't know what you're going to get. So it's Katie's Crib Point to have all these different guests on to make you aware, not make you scared, but just make you aware that if either of these things should happen and all of the options in between, you are not alone. And uh, there are things that you can do to get help and to feel better.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com easy.
2: There are some things you can do to help minimize symptoms of depression around weaning, which is weaning gradually, Emily Rogers, which takes me to what are you doing for the Audrey situation?
3: It's so interesting, you know, like best laid plans and all of that. Um, I had talked to Dr. Sporego, my my psychiatrist. I had talked to my therapist. I had talked to friends. I talked to anybody that I could talk to about what was your weaning plan like? How did you do it? And so, and I had come up with this elaborate, you know, scheme where I was going to wean one feed per month. And that was it. Emily is such a
2: lawyer. Uh,
3: Like you do everything.
2: Like, like I just think (laughs) you're so meticulous in all of this. I love it. Okay.
3: So you had this totally elaborate detailed plan. And then Audrey laughed at me. And so did Evie, in fact, because it was the combination of both of them. I was still pumping at night right before I went to bed. I dropped that first. That was easy. A few weeks later, I was like, okay, I'm gonna drop, I'm gonna drop a feed. And in my head, I I had a plan that I was gonna drop her afternoon feed first. And I don't remember and at the time I didn't remember why I had insisted on it being the afternoon feed. Because one morning, Audrey chomped down, like in her late morning feed, teeth and all just like took a bite, and I was like, nope. Eleven a.m. is done. Oh, <laughs> and we're dropping it today, and it's done. So then I dropped it, and then I realized a week later why I had why I had wanted to drop the three o'clock feed first because I was taking my daughter to those ten day intensive swim classes every single day at three thirty, and so I couldn't like I I, I couldn't just. Nurse her. I had nannies lined, you know. I had childcare lined up for when I was taking her to swim class. There was going to be a rush of me picking her up from school, and like so, the whole thing. I ended up dropping two feeds in two weeks. (laughs) I was like, "Oh my god, this is exactly the opposite plan." (laughs) So all right, so everything
2: you've planned is not what's happening. Welcome to motherhood. Totally shot. Yeah. And so, how do you feel? How do you feel? I mean, you must feel okay because.
3: You're on you have the support and you're on medication, right? <laughs> I have the support. I'm on medication. I mean, the best thing that happened to me was when my husband and Dr. Sparego and I actually had an appointment together before while we were deciding, you know, when to have our second baby. And this was maybe five months before the pandemic hit. And we were talking about, should I go off the antidepressants before I get pregnant again? Yada, yada, yada. And and I made the decision. I was like, you know what? I still need to be a good mother to my older daughter. So I can't go into postpartum depression again because I won't be able to mother properly. And so, and let's face it, your older one takes so much more patience and the language and all of that, that's so much more important that you need to kind of be on for and so i stayed on antidepressants the entire time and thank god because then months later we're in a fucking global pandemic and and everybody went on them <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and so um luckily i i actually upped my medication um after i gave birth to audrey um it, things just weren't feeling Totally right. Everything was stressful. COVID, I mean, you know, trying to protect your babies. I mean, and Katie and I both went through very stressful times of feeling like we couldn't protect our babies from COVID. And obviously, Allison, yeah. you went through the same thing. Yeah. Like the little bit of vaccine that I yes. can get. Like, so uh, we were all in that frame of mind. Anyone who's mothering,
2: especially under five year olds during this pandemic or and were pregnant during this pandemic, it it was so intense. It was so yeah, it was scary. Terrifying.
4: And I was the fool coming in being like, perfect timing. Wow. March 2021. <laughs> we'll have so much sorted. Ugh, getting my vaccines. Like I was just mad that I missed being able to get it as a pregnant lady. And um pregnant lady, why do I say that? Just as a, I love pregnant, it. a lady. pregnant
2: lady. But I, I love I, it.
4: That's, I thought I was coming in <laughs> and then it was like the Omicron Christmas. Uh, then we all got COVID a month ago, just rolling through the household. But it is, oh, yeah. it, well, I think I can't even imagine the early days, honestly.
2: Oh my God. It was fucking, I was pregnant the week before shutdown. I was. I'll never forget. I was like, we're, uh, oh yeah, it was, it was <laughs> so awful. Um, Emily, you're feeling okay right now, even though your plan is not the plan.
3: You're yeah, feeling okay. I'm feeling okay right now. I actually just dropped another feed. So I'm down to one a day now. And. Um, I'm feeling good. I mean, I'm, I'm in treatment. I talk to my psychiatrist regularly and there's so much of motherhood that is letting go of your own control. And I've learned that for the last several years, you'd think I would remember when I'm making an elaborate plan for weaning that it's not going to go according to plan and that Audrey has her own ideas. Mm -hmm. And she's basically weaned herself in, in many ways, you know, she stopped she stopped um, feeding every single feed. She, The only one that she's really um, attached to is the morning feed. And so that's the one I've kept. And we'll see how much further I go with that.
4: Can I ask a queasy, a, a queasy question? <laughs> a, queasy a queasy question. A little bit of a woo. Uh, do, <laughs> when the weaning happened, did either of you ever just have this instinctual thing of just like, oh, I don't know, he seems upset, he's teething, it's a couple months since weaning, should I throw this baby on the boob? Did that ever oh. strike? Because I almost did it a few times where I was like, I don't know what would happen. I didn't want to like unleash the beast again, but I was like, There would be these moments I'd almost forget I wasn't doing it, no matter how long. Even still, there's moments where I'm like, and I sometimes forget how it feels.
2: Yeah, and it's weird. Like I'll, I'll, I remember when I weaned Albie. Like I was like no, we're not doing that right now. Or like you don't, like you said, unleash the beast. Like you don't want to like open up that can <laughs> of worms again and confuse them like that yes. it might still be a possibility if it's not a possibility. Yes. But I do think, Allison, I'm curious if, I'm pretty sure that if a baby started nursing on you regularly, you would start producing milk again. Is that true? Am I a
4: year out? Up? I don't even know. I mean, let's let's throw it to our panel of doctors. No, does it up. only? Come- I
2: don't
3: think so. And I can't believe I'm bringing this up, but I read an article the <laughs> other day that when you stop breastfeeding, your boob basically eats itself. So all of the stuff that your breasts make in order to breastfeed, all that stuff is like your boob eats it all up, so that it's no longer. <laughs>
2: And that's why it goes to looking like a dehydrated sock. And anyone, I don't know what that means. It just works for me. But like I, anyone I know who had big boobs and hated them their whole life, like loved their chest after they weaned because it was just like, (laughs) they've never been like that kind of flat before. Um, Okay. What are some additional (laughs) things you've learned through post-weaning depression that no one told you about that you wish you had known?
4: All of it. <laughs> I cool. I honestly, I just like truly never heard of it. I I don't, I know this out, and I'd read a lot of books. I'd prepped a lot. I had a, a top OBGYN. Um, apparently, by the way, I don't know if you all knew this, but when I was panicking and didn't know if just stopping would stop it, when I called and she did get back to me about it, she said, Oh yeah, I already told the guy at the like the ketamine therapy clinic that you'd be calling. And I w- I had no idea that ketamine therapy is now um one of the treatments for p- postpartum. I was like special K, man. I just rolled up, you know, from 1999.
2: Yeah, ketamine would be special K. That's um right. It's the cool And yeah, people are knew. doing small <laughs> small doses of that actually. Yep. for postpartum depression and they're also doing microdosing mushrooms. Guys, people are just getting into it. People Listen, are So just...
4: let's open up our brains. But yeah, I I really couldn't believe no one say anything and I have an amazing WhatsApp group that is shout out Mom It's just like 60 women in the business who've had kids over the last year and sharing very openly with each other and I remember when it was a smaller group I did just put it out there finally. Guys, I don't know what I just lived through and all of them said that they'd only seen one Cosmo article. And that article actually, and I can't remember the name of it now, but it was like, why did no one tell me this would happen from like five years ago? And um, it was, it described perfectly the moment I had in Palm Springs of just like sitting there and suddenly this deep sadness just opening up over you. But it's not, no one talks about it. Emily, I don't know if you'd had heard of it. I just didn't know what was happening. I literally didn't know it existed. And I, I will, this is the conspiracy theorist to me. I'm like, do they not tell us because they want us yeah. to breastfeed? And they're so, but I'm like, there, there's a little of that, right? There is a little bit of like, you know, you hope for the best and know that if there's a problem, of course, and we'll come talk to you about it. But the, I almost would have, it's not like it would have changed my drive to breastfeed had I known about this. I just would have been like, got it. I know now to look for the, sing- the signals of that. Oh, team, yeah. You could get
2: postpartum st- depression from having a baby and it doesn't stop yeah. you from having a baby, you know? Or, I mean, yeah. it doesn't really. Equate, by but
4: but, how- no, but i think i i think i personally still would have been like we're going for it at least when it hits i'll know what it is i can dive into action we'll get that to-do list going but it was
2: <laughs> you're the best
4: to do find out why I think I need disability, go on disability at this moment.
2: You're the absolute fucking best. I'm obsessed with you. Okay. Emily, what about you? What are some additional things you learned through post-weaning depression that no one told you about that you wish you'd known?
3: Actually, when I found out that I was doing this podcast, I asked my psychiatrist, I said, if you could tell women, yeah, if you could tell women about postpartum and weaning, like, what would you say? And he said, I want women to understand that even though we think that breastfeeding is controlled by the breast, it's actually controlled by the brain. It's all neurotransmitters and hormones. Or you know, I'm I'm going to botch the medicine, but it's the neurotransmitters in your brain that control whether or not you breastfeed. It's up to your brain, and so. I think when you think of breastfeeding as a mental function rather than a physical function, it really opens your mind to the idea that, well, of course you can get depression from it. <laughs> I mean, you're you're basically stopping these neurotransmitters from producing prolactin and, you know, oxytocin and all of these things that give us the euphoria of breastfeeding. It's also the
2: waves which is something that's really hard for some women to shake. It's like when you have a letdown producing milk and you get serotonin flooding your brain because you love your baby, which is why milk is happening, then it dries out and then it that's all gone. It's like very some women like literally get headaches every time they get a letdown. Thank you to Doctor, your doctor for telling us that bit, Emily, Dr. Sprego. Okay, if a mom is suspecting she has post-weaning depression, what questions can she ask herself to confirm? For me, it's always about functioning. Have you lost function? Like, I'm always like but – but you know what? In Emily's case, it's different than that. For me, it was like I couldn't even return a text. Allison took four hours to write an email she could have written. For Emily, it was that – which I also think is a great tell, you've lost the joy in doing these things. Like there's just a – re, and I had that too, which was just I no longer felt joyous taking care of my children at all. I mean, I, I
3: ha- not everybody has a partner when they have a baby, but I did, and my husband, and I – I found that the second time around, at least, when I had Audrey, I checked in with him a lot. I was like, how do you think I'm doing? Like, I And I think that that question is just so important because oh, oh, with me, at least, it was so such a gradual process to getting to where I was depressed that if he weren't paying attention, I don't think he would have even really noticed because it's just... You get lost in your own. I mean, he was super busy. I was super busy. We had the kid, you know. But when I made a point of asking him after I had the baby, probably like once every two weeks, I just asked him, I said, How am I doing? How do you think I'm doing? Especially since I think a lot of times after you have a baby or when you're, whatever it is that's going on, I think a lot of husbands don't want to say to their wives, like, you're you're not being normal or whatever it is like that's yeah, a terrible, yeah. But, but they don't want to call attention to the fact because they don't want to piss you off and there's all of the stuff going on and they want to be understanding and sort of like give you more leeway yeah. to have the emotional experience that you're having but it's it's a it's a difficult balance to try and figure out and the best person who knows you like the person who knows you best is your is your partner and he was able to say to me you know at certain times he's like no i at least after Audrey, he was like, "I think something's going on. I think you should talk to your doctor. I think you should tell him these things. Can I jump on the call with you with your doctor? Can we all talk about it together?" Um, which I was really lucky. Like my Jamie has been on calls with me and my and my psychiatrist multiple
2: he's the shit you both have such wonderful partners oh my god
4: that's amen for that i mean truly and again like exactly like if i i try to think about the the thing about questions you can ask yourself here's one of you would ask me katie what coping mechanisms did you use yeah and i was like none it was terrible i stopped eating it i did for a while still try to go back to things that used to work so meditation was a huge one Um, I would get nervous about sending, you know, cut notes or whatever it is. And I, I, before I would sit down to do it, I would go meditate and I would just, it didn't work. Like it was not unlocking any calm. I was vibrating and thinking through the whole, it wasn't just like, come back to your practice, (laughs) cycle back. No, it was, it was not working. And going on walks, like TJ would force me to leave the house sometime around 5 PM every day. That used to be so calming to me in a early pandemic days. And did nothing for me, I would come back just as hyped, so I think that's a good test is like are those things that usually calm me down, bring you back, focus you, do they still work and if if they're not working, there might be something more aggressive happening, even if you do them inconsistently that's that's the other thing that really helped me understand something that was wrong.
2: I had the same thing I remember hanging on to this like meditation app on my phone, and like trying to play it to, like, go to sleep and just being like, I am spinning the fuck out. I cannot do this. And then I remember going on family walks at sunset at 5 o'clock and just being so sad and, like, so feeling out of body, feeling like I was watching myself, like, oh, you should be enjoying this. Like, you're going on a walk with your baby strapped to you and your toddler and your husband, and I'm a shell. Like a shell, like I,
3: I, I, why I'm not in the experience, like at all. Um, it reminds me of something that I, I heard in my childbirth class about you know whether or not you should get an epidural. It, Talia Moore taught my childbirth class, and she had said, you know, it's supposed to be painful, but you're not supposed to suffer. And I think that that's like a very good way of putting postpartum too. It's supposed like is supposed to be hard, but you're not supposed to suffer. And it's not supposed to be so hard that it feels debilitating or that it affects the way that you go about your life or if, or you have no joy left yes. in with your child. No, but suffering is a different Wise. thing. <laughs> yeah. Su- yeah. Suffering, I mean, suffering,
2: suffering is, is a different, is different thing. not the right analogy, but it's... No, hard is different than suffering. Hard can be okay, you know, but suffering is, is a different thing. Um, what would you recommend to women who are going through or who suspect they have post-weaning depression.
4: One of the best things I, I could recommend too is like, I didn't have a general practitioner before I gave birth. It was just all in my OBGYN. She was my everything. Her and my her and my amazing rheumatologist with my cool young people arthritis that I have, middle-aged people now. Um, ah! But I wish I'd had a GP in place before I gave birth because- I didn't have a psychiatrist, right? So I did. I just had my, my talk therapist and my OBGYN. And I wish I'd had somebody I could have gone to in this very kind of like distinct way from both of those experiences to do an assessment at the early stages of it, just to be like, doc, am I okay? What's happening? And they could have then like guided the rest of that experience because I think I had some, like, I, I just don't, I, I think that would have allowed me the freedom to maybe even I know this sounds weird, say things I wouldn't have maybe said to my OBGYN or my therapist about physically like what was happening because I think I was a little nervous to admit I wasn't sleeping and eating and I was also like doing a octane job and caring for a baby. And I feel like a, just a Mr. GP I just signed up with or Ms. GP. I
2: don't have a GP either. Like what the hell?
4: And this is not as helpful for new moms, but like as you're getting ready, have a have a person who's just like this separate entity. I think, and then, and then, can be like, hey, I want you to see a psychiatrist, right? That in this, and kind of have a speed and an ease of care with that person, because that was one of the things when somebody casually mentioned it to me in the midst of the weaning of, like, we'll get a GP and they can like see you, and then they can get you a prescription for, and I was like. A jeep? You want me to find a GP in Los Angeles in 2021? I just seemed like, like they they'd asked me to yeah. go to the moon. I was like, "Are you kidding? They're booked." So uh, that was the one thing I really wish someone had told me ahead of time.
2: That's great. And your GP is the one who told you, Emily, right? Yeah,
3: she's the one who. Interesting. you. Yeah. Knew. yeah. Knew. Interesting. Knew. Interesting.
2: Knew. interesting. And what would you say to that question?
3: I would say, talk to the people in your community, Like talk to them, talk to your mom, friends, talk to, or if you know, you're the first person of your friends to have kids go find, you you know, your sisters, cousins, mothers, neighbors, daughter, you know, whoever, because the moment I started talking to people about my postpartum depression, you discover that everybody, you know, has postpartum depression or depression of some sort. Everybody's medicated. Everybody's got a doctor. (laughs) Like seriously, like everybody has a doctor. So yeah, you'll find referrals within your community, people that you trust and just give them a call and talk to them.
2: I love it. And last question that we always ask parenthood
3: is. Parenthood should be a choice.
4: Oh, right. That's (laughs) what I'm going with right now. Perfectly said. Uh, ah oh, perfectly said Parent, parenthood is extremes i think is the best way i can think about it extreme lows and highs at least in this all my limited experience of 14 months of it but hey,
2: that's not limited cuz you were you were pregnant for a year before that <laughs>
4: that's right and you
2: were trying for longer before mm, that mm-hmm. i mean this has been a fucking journey so, and it's been extreme.
4: Yeah. And it's it's not a bad it's, thing that it's extreme. It's almost like no. kind of there's power in knowing it's extremes.
2: Yeah. I'm so appreciative of you both coming on to Katie's Crib and sharing your personal experiences. I think it will be so helpful. I think hopefully... We can add to the great canon of the Cosmopolitan article on postpartum depression (laughs) around around weaning to hopefully make women more aware, information is power, and let them know that they're not alone and that this is fucking common. I freaking love you both. I love your children. I love your partners. I love your faces. Uh, I love everything about you, you both. Now
4: everyone knows why I FaceTimed you crying now. No, <laughs> right back at you and so so endlessly grateful to be invited to be a part of this conversation. And I do hope it I do hope help it helps people. Um, and Emily I helped me it hearing your story, which could not have been more different from my own, but still yeah. lets me feel connected. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I want to hear from you. Let's chat. Questions, comments, concerns? Let me know. You can always find me at katiescrib at shondaland.com. Katie's Crib is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts,
1: or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.